Loneliness is a plague on our culture today. Loneliness. Uh, ironically, even things like social media, being able to connect on live stream, having Facebook, having Twitter, having uh, all these ways to virtually connect, people are more lonely than ever. More lonely than, than ever. In fact, you can have a thousand friends on your Facebook account and, and still be uh, the loneliest person you can imagine, you know, or have a Twitter following of millions of people and be utterly lonely. Loneliness is, uh, is something that's hard to see in others because you can be lonely sitting in the middle of a crowd. It's not about having just people around. It's about having a true connection and true relationships. And if you have the courage to put your phone down long enough to just sit there in silence, and that's really hard to do, isn't it, these days? We just constantly need something before us to entertain us. If you have the courage to set the phone down and just sit there, you have to face the, the reality that you are alone. And I think that's a terrifying thought. Someone recently shared that to me before they were a Christian. It was a terrifying thought to be alone. But Christians can feel that way as well. To me, loneliness is one of the, I have found in my personal experience one of the most troubling things is when you're by yourself, is there anybody out there? Well, how do you think the disciples felt as God was about to leave them? Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And how would you put yourself in their shoes? How would you feel that Jesus the Son of God is going to leave you. And what does Jesus say in light of that? He tells them, do not let your hearts be troubled. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 14. Jesus is going away, but he doesn't want his disciples' hearts to be troubled. I've entitled this message, Jesus Cures Troubled Hearts. Jesus Cures Troubled Hearts. And we're going to see this morning seven promises that Jesus gives his disciples as a cure for troubled hearts. Both at the beginning of this passage and at the end of this passage, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And in the middle comes a whole sea of assurances. And I've boiled them down to seven promises, and we'll look at them in, in order this morning. So please keep your Bibles open, and I would really encourage you to take notes and to hear Jesus speak to you in this text. So let's look at these seven assurances, this cure for troubled hearts. Number one. 
Jesus is making a home for you. Jesus is making a home for you. If you are an international living in a foreign land, like many of us here are, it becomes quite apparent that you're not home. But even if this is your country, and I felt this way as an American as well, if you're a Christian, you realize really quickly that home is not your home. And if you just go home, say you go home to visit family, like this isn't really my home anymore. But for us as Christians, we have no home on earth. You know, as the Apostle Peter said, we are strangers and and exiles. Jesus will in a few chapters remind us that we are not of this world. But we do have a home. And it's a home in glory. And Jesus is going to make a home for you, for us as his people. Look in verse 2. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us? Isn't he God? Hasn't he already created all things? What, what does it mean that he's going to his father's house where there are many rooms and he's going to prepare a place for you? I, th- I would argue and I well, will argue that Jesus is using this image of hospitality to help us understand what he is doing between his first and second comings. So Jesus describes heaven, the place of God, as this mansion with many rooms. And just like my wife has been doing these last couple weeks waiting for her parents to come to visit, she's getting the house ready, right? She's, she's cleaning out the boys' room where the parents will stay, which is a lot of work. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she'll, she's getting it all ready. She's getting the house ready. Uh, and I think it's, I didn't ask Deborah if I could share this, but I always marvel at, at how much work there is to do before guests can come. <laughs> and so she's going around the house preparing, making sure everything's clean and spotless and amazing. And, you know, she just wants to love and welcome you know, her parents or whoever is, is coming. And it's a wonderful thing. And, and Jesus uses this kind of imagery. It's like he's like going to the rooms, making sure all the, the rooms are ready for your arrival. And of, and of course, heaven is not actually a mansion. Heaven is not actually like we're going to just have a sleepover at God's house, right? He's talking about the, the new Jerusalem, the new creation, all these things that will come at the end of days. And Jesus is pre- making preparations for that. And at the spiritual level, he's talking about all his work that he's continuing to do today through the work of the Spirit, building his church, sending his people to the four corners of the earth. That's the work that Jesus is about right now. He's making all things ready. He's gathering all of his lost sheep and preparing them for the day when heaven will come to earth and there will be a new creation, world without end. Amen. And Jesus is telling his disciples, I have to go do this. But don't let your hearts be troubled. 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's doing that for us as well as his people today. We're part of that preparation work. You know, isn't it amazing? I mean, just just the, the, a few weeks ago, we were talking about how many languages this church could speak. I think we counted like 17, something like that. And even here, God's gathering people from all over the world to this little church, this little church plant. And it's part of his preparation work for making home for us in glory. And he gives us a family as a cure for loneliness. He gives us each other. So that's number one. Jesus is making a home for you. Number two, Jesus is coming back for you. Jesus is coming back for you. Look at what he says there then in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus isn't doing all this preparation work of preparing a home just to leave us abandoned. He's coming back for us. He's coming back. You know, I think of uh, little children. You know, like when our kids were little and Deborah would need to run an errand or we both would, every blue moon would be able to go on a date. <laughs> you know, and when the kids are, are, are little, they're like terrified that you're leaving. They don't want you to leave. They cling to your legs. They go, don't go, mom, don't go. You know, and what do you say? You say, it's okay, I'm coming back. It's okay, I'm coming back. And just think of the, I mean, honestly, but it's easy sometimes to make fun of the disciples when we have the knowledge of what's going to happen and they don't at this time, to just kind of think at times they're silly or they just are dumb, they don't get it. But if Jesus, God, was here with us, would we, want, would we not cling to him and say, don't leave us? But he's saying, I'm coming back, just like a faithful parent. The only difference is that parents can't absolutely guarantee that they'll come back. They might get killed in the car on the drive home. But Jesus is God, and he will make good on his word. He will come back for you. He will come back for you. So we've seen that Jesus is making a home for you. Jesus is coming back for you. Number three, Jesus is the way to God for you. In fact, he's the only way. Jesus is the way to God for you. The only way. And we see this in verses Four to six, where he says, And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here we get another one of the great I am statements in John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here falls every religious pluralist who would say there are many roads to God. And that all religions teach the same thing. And that is 
not true if you actually read the Holy Scriptures. Jesus claims no one can come to the Father except through me. But the good news, friends, if you believe in Jesus, he gives you access to the Father. He is the way. We don't need a road map to find some kind of ge- uh, you know, uh, geological, geographical kind of uh, survey or map, road map to find where God is. Jesus is the way, and the way we get there is through faith. And that's why he begins in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There is a cure for loneliness here as well, my friends. If you want to find home itself, if you want to find God, because true, the true home, our true home is where God is, you simply need to believe. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So we've seen that Jesus is making a home for you. Jesus is coming back for you. Jesus is the way to God for you, the only way. And number four, Jesus has revealed the Father's will to you. Jesus has revealed the Father's will to you. We see this in verses 7 to 11. If you think about it, Jesus has done something miraculous. He has let us see the invisible. He's let us see God in his own person. Look what Jesus says here. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And there in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And he goes on there in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The works themselves. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is dispelling the notion that, well, okay, Jesus, he's a nice guy. I mean, I think you could talk to almost every, any person on the street today about Jesus, and they would say, was he a nice guy? Was he a bad guy? They'd say, yeah, he was a nice guy. But is the Father the same way? Or is the Father a, a vindictive judge? Is, is, is the Father um, a Jekyll and Hyde kind of God? That sometimes is nice, sometimes bad, and you don't quite know what you're going to get. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus has revealed to us, 
to his disciples in Scripture the complete will of God for us. Both of his moral will as well as the way to be saved. He's revealed God as the judge of all earth, but also the one who sent his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The miracle of Jesus at this moment is that he has given us the ability to see what would be impossible for us to see. No one can see God. No one can see God. John makes that claim at the beginning of this gospel. No one has ever seen God. But the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So that you do not need to be left in doubt. Is God pleased with me or is God angry with me? Christian, God may discipline you for your sin, but the punishment has been paid out by Christ, and that's why he is going to the cross, which we will see in just a few chapters. That's why he's going away to bear the wrath of God that should rightly fall on us. And as John says, because of that, John 1, he says, we have seen him full of grace and truth. Jesus reveals the Father as full of grace and full of truth. When we see Jesus, we see the love of the Father. I think one of the devil's greatest tactics is to make you think, as a Christian, a professing Christian, that God is angry with you and God is not pleased with you. The devil loves to do that. But we only need to look upon the sun to see his love. The primary way God looks on us is love. Even as we look upon our biological children whom we love, family members who we love. So we've seen that Jesus is making a home for you. Jesus is coming back for you. Jesus is the way to God for you, the only way. Jesus has revealed the Father's will to you. And now number five, Jesus will do greater things through you. Jesus will do greater things through you. And now here Jesus gives us a very perplexing statement. Look here in verses 12 to 14. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here Jesus is saying he will do greater things through you and through his disciples. Now, what on earth could that be? Is Jesus saying that we're going to go around uh, healing people, uh, just going on the street and just 
making lame beggars walk and blind men see and uh, tugging on people's legs and straightening them out? Are we, you know, are we going to move literal mountains? You know, while I go and I need to learn the names of the mountains around here, but uh, that say this mountain move and it will be. Is Jesus talking about like moving geographical monuments and things and walking on water? Are these the greater things? No. Is Jesus here saying that you by your own power are going to do even amazing things that Jesus just came as a life coach? To kind of help you be a better person, and actually because you're, it's going to be you're going to be like greater than the master one day. No. Let's bear in mind he's about to talk about the Holy Spirit, and that he's also referencing the work that he needs to do at the Father's right hand, sending the Spirit and doing his work through his people. I don't see anyone waiting. Um, Is that what he's doing? What he's saying here is that actually the way Jesus is going to fulfill his work is by going to the Father, sending the Spirit, and sending his disciples to all nations. We can see the other Gospels where that becomes clear. Let's say the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is going to spread. What Jesus did in his first coming was just the beginning. It was making atonement for sin. But the kingdom must be built, and the kingdom must be spreading. And so these greater works are the greater works, not that we're going to do under our own power, but that Jesus will do through his church. And through even these fledgling disciples that he's going to send out greater things. So even us today, our little church plant in Stavanger, in a nation and in the West that's largely forgotten God, and it seems so hopelessly impossible, these are greater works. And he's doing a work far greater than all we could ask or imagine. And even as the cold atheistic world tries to squelch the gospel, it's spreading. The gospel's spreading like wildfire in the global south. It's spreading like wildfire in China and Iran. And even here, the torch is not out. And even here, we hear from people around the country saying, We need shepherds, we want the word. And so I, my, one of my daily prayers is, is Paul's prayer from Ephesians 3. Lord, now, it's, he says in this benediction, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. And I can, I can ask for a lot and imagine a lot. <laughs> now him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, the Spirit, that Jesus is about to talk about here. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So if I ask for a mansion, he's not going to give it to me because he loves me. That would be bad. But if I ask, Lord, would you be glorified in this church? He will because he's promised to do it. 
Lord, to be glorified in this church and in your son. And that's my prayer for us as First Pres, that we would, our lives would be centered around glorifying God. That, that us, that our family, that our neighbors would be able to enjoy God forever. So greater things will he do. Even in these days, my friends, that's a great cure for troubled hearts, especially when it feels lonely to be a Christian in a community where sometimes you don't know another Christian. Number six, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help you. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help you. And we see this in verses 15 to 17 and 25 to 26. So Jesus is giving us a cure for troubled hearts. We've seen him say, Jesus is making a home for you. Jesus is coming back for you. Jesus is the way to God for you. Jesus has revealed the Father's will to you. Jesus will do greater things for you. And now, six, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help you. The only way any of these things can happen is by the Spirit. And in God's providence, the only way the Spirit could come is by Him going to the Father. And we see there here in verse 15 and following, where Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. The Holy Spirit uh, is like the best nanny or governess you could ever have. I hope that's not sacrilegious to say it that way. But Jesus did not abandon us. And the reason that I will, I think that analogy is permissible is because in verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The reason when you sit alone at night, if you have the courage to put your phone down, even as a Christian, and just sit there, the reason God is there with you is because he's given you the Spirit. So that even if, let's say, you are alone, uh, you've been imprisoned for your faith, you're sitting in in isolation all by yourself, the very essence of home is with you. God is with you. Because of the Spirit. And more than that, the reason that we have any ability to bear any spiritual fruit is because the Spirit is in us. The reason we believe is because the Spirit gave us a new heart. The reason we can read the Bible and understand where other people, if you show them the Bible, they read it and there's nothing is because the Spirit has given us eyes to see. The reason that we can 
do any spiritual good on this planet is not because we just, you just need enough willpower. It's because it's the Spirit working through us in this weird way that's hard for us to understand. It feels like I'm doing the work. It feels like I'm getting out of bed. It feels like I'm getting dressed and driving to church. It feels like I'm the one going out of my way to encourage someone else. But it's actually the Spirit empowering you to do that, giving you the will, giving you the spiritual gifts so that no man can boast. So that no one can boast. That was the church in Corinth's great problem. They thought that they had these spiritual gifts on their own. And so they were propping themselves up as better than everybody else and saying, I don't need anybody else. I don't need the ear. I don't need the nose, to use Paul's analogy, the body of Christ. None of us can boast because anything we can do is only because of the grace of God. Because let's be honest, we're fools. We're idiots. We're helpless. We're corrupt. We are without hope, without the Spirit. <clears throat> so Jesus sends the Spirit not only to help us follow Him, obey Him, believe in Him, but also to know that we're not left alone. And that we can talk to God at any time. And that even when you do not know what to say to God, the Spirit takes our groanings. He takes, even if you can't even verbally groan and you're just silent, the Spirit takes that and brings it to the Father. He's God. He's the closest friend you could ever have through the mediation of Jesus. Because then he's our father and not our judge. You know, there's a lot of people just wanting that perfect relationship. That, per- that person will just sit there and listen to them for hours and know them and, and buy the right Christmas present without even being told what you need to get for them. You know, that, that, all of that that you should just know. Yeah, we want that, and I think all most I mean, most movies are very silly today and, and pretty childish. Uh, everything coming out these days seems to be that way. But it's just I just want someone to know me, and we think that if we just find that person, or we find that perfect church. By the way, there's no perfect church, so just uh, just uh, for any visitors, anyone coming, we're very flawed, but we love God's word. Uh, we're very flawed. But we love God's word. Right in any churches, there's the one of the best church books ever. It was everybody's normal until you get to know them. That was the title of the of the book, and it was on church. <laughs> so, but anyways, if you really want to be known, you simply need to go to Jesus, and He brings you to the Father through the help of the Holy. Spirit, and he does give us each other to know each other and and to fight for each other and to encourage each other and and I and maybe even one day lay down our lives for one another. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help us in all these things. 
So we've seen Jesus is making a home for you. Jesus is coming back for you. Jesus is the way to God for you. Jesus has revealed the Father's will to you. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help you. And now lastly, number seven, Jesus shares the Father's love with you. Jesus shares the Father's love with you. Look at verse 21. And, uh, well, actually, let me, let's go back in to verse 18. And let's, let's begin there. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever, uh, that's a mystery and a dissertation right there. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas goes on, of course, and this is not Iscariot, the one who will betray him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus is talking about for those who love him, who keep his commandments, will also share in the love of the Father together. I think for us, it, that, that raises a, a question, what does it mean to keep the commandments of God? Like here now, are, at the end of all of this encouraging stuff, are we now left to fall because we know we can't keep the commandments of God perfectly? Is Jesus saying that now? To leave us abandoned at the seventh point? No. What is his commandment? What does he say at the beginning of this passage? Verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In Jesus' entire ministry, he has been saying the will of God for you is to believe in me. The will of God for you is to believe in me. In John's letter, 1 John 3.23, he says, This is the commandment that you believe in the Son. The commandment we follow as God's people is to believe in him. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't follow God's moral law. But what Jesus is concerned about saying here is that your access to God, your access to his love is not by trying to perfectly fulfill the law of God, which you can't, which is why Jesus came, but it's that you would believe in him and the spirit will help you grow in these other things. So our way to God is through faith. But when we get the spirit through faith, he helps us obey the commands of God. But we don't, we don't, it's, we're not legalists in flipping it around saying, well, we obey all these things to earn God's love. 
We receive God's love through faith. And then the Spirit helps us to follow Him and bear fruit in Him. So that you could say good works are the fruit of salvation, not the cause of salvation. Does that make sense? Good works are the fruit of salvation, not the cause of salvation. So I've given you three things. I hope you've seen as we've looked in the text. I'm not actually giving them to you, but I'm hopefully helping you see them. Jesus is giving us at least seven assurances here. Maybe we could even pull out a few more if we had more time, but at least seven assurances that form a cure for troubled hearts. A cure for troubled hearts. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. And as we just looked at at the beginning, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. So if you have the courage at night or during the day to set your phone down and disconnect from the world, you don't have to feel lonely because of these promises. You don't have to feel lonely. Lonely. That doesn't mean that there won't be times where we miss the camaraderie of one another. And that is why God's given us to each other and given a church on earth so that we can encourage each other. And we need to be looking out for one another because we're meant for relationships. But even if all of that falls away, God is with you and He's given you, Jesus has given us seven great reasons to not be troubled in the quiet moment and in the quiet hour. So embrace these promises and know that in the quiet hour, Jesus loves you. Jesus is with you and he is coming to take you home to heavenly glories. That where he is, we may also be. And what a cure for troubled hearts that is. That is. So I'll leave us with Jesus' words then in verse 27 as he wraps up chapter 14 to the disciples. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid.